Chapter 7, Part 2 of How to Write Short Stories with Examples by Ring Lardner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Madison Rutherford. Chapter 7, A Caddy's Diary, Part 2. Wednesday, April 26. Today Mrs. Stone was out for the first time this year and asked me to caddy for her, and you bet I was on the job. Well, how are you, Dick, she said. She always calls me by name. She asked me what had I been doing all winter and was I glad to see her in ETC. She said she had been down south all winter and played golf pretty near every day and would I watch her and notice how much she had improved. Well, to tell the truth, she was no better than last year and won't never be no better and I guess she is just too pretty to be a golf player. But of course when she asked me did I think her game was improved, I had to reply yes indeed as I would not hurt her feelings and she laughed like my reply pleased her. She played with Mr. and Mrs. Carter and I carried the two ladies' bags while Joe being catted for Mr. Carter. Mrs. Carter is a ugly dame with things on her face and it must make Mr. Carter feel sore when he looks at Mrs. Stone to think he married Mrs. Carter, but I suppose they could not all marry the same one. And besides, Mrs. Dunn would not be a sucker enough to marry a man like he who drinks all the time and is pretty near always stood, though Mr. Dunn, who she did marry, ain't such an H of a man himself, though dirty with money. They all gave me the laugh on the third hole when Mrs. Dunn was making her second shot and the ball was in the fairway, but laid kind of bad and she just ticked it and then she asked me if winter rules was in force, and I said yes, so we teed her ball up so as she could get a good shot at it and they gave me the laugh for saying winter rules was in force. You have got the caddy's bride, Mr. Carter said to her. But she just smiled and put her hand on my shoulder and said, Dick is my pal. That is enough of a bribe to just have her touch you, and I would caddy all day for her and never ask for a cent only to have her smile at me and call me her pal. Saturday, April 29th Today they had the first club tournament of the year, and they have a monthly tournament every month, and today was the first one. It is a handicap tournament, and everybody plays in it, and they have prizes for low net score and low gross score and ETC. I catted for Mr. Thomas today, and will tell what happened. They played a four, and besides Mr. Thomas, we had Mr. Blake and Mr. Carter and Mr. Dunham. Mr. Dunham is the worst man player in the club, and the other men would not play with him, especially on a Saturday, only him and Mr. Blake is partners together in business. Mr. Dunham has got the highest handicap in the club, which is 50 but it would have to be 150 for him to win a prize. Mr. Blake and Mr. Carter has got a handicap of about 15 apiece, I think, and Mr. Thomas is 30. The first prize for the low net score for the day was a dozen golf balls, and the second low score a half dozen golf balls in ETC. Well, we had a great battle, and Mr. Kobe ought to have been along to write it up or some good writer. Mr. Carter and Mr. Dunham played partners against Mr. Thomas and Mr. Blake, which meant that Mr. Carter was playing Thomas and Blake's best ball. Well, Mr. Dunham took the honor and the first ball he hit went straight off to the right and over the fence outside of the grounds. Well, he'd done the same thing three times. Well, when he finally did hit one in the course, why Mr. Carter said, why not let us not count them three first shots, Mr. Dunham, as they was just practice. Like H, we won't count them, said Mr. Thomas. We must count every shot and keep our scores correct for the tournament. All right, said Mr. Carter. Well, we got down to the green, and Mr. Dunham had about 11, and Mr. Carter sunk a long putt for a par 5. Mr. Blake already had 5 strokes, and so did Mr. Thomas, and when Mr. Carter sunk his putt, when Mr. Thomas picked his ball up and said Carter wins the hole, and I and Blake will take sixes. Like H, you will, said Mr. Carter. This is a tournament, and we must play every hole out and keep our scores correct. 
So Mr. Dunham putted and went down in 13, and Mr. Blake got a 6, and Mr. Thomas missed two easy putts and took a 8, and maybe he was not boiling. Well, it was still their honor, and Mr. Dunham had one of his dizzy spells on the second tee, and he missed the ball twice before he hit it, and then Mr. Carter drove the green, which is only a mid-iron shot, and then Mr. Thomas stepped up and missed the ball just like Mr. Dunham. He was wild and yelled at Mr. Dunham, no man could play golf playing with a man like you, you would spoil anybody's game. Your game was already spoiled, said Mr. Dunham. It turned sour on the first green. You would turn anybody sour, said Mr. Thomas. Well, Mr. Thomas finally took a eight for the hole, which is a par three, and that certainly looked bad for him winning a prize when he started out with two eights, and he and Mr. Dunham had another terrible time on number three, and while they was messing things up, a two-some come up behind us and hollered four, and we left them go through, though it was Mr. Clayton and Mr. Joyce, and as Joe Bean said, they was probably disappointed when we left them go through, as they are the kind that feels like the day is lost if they can't write to some committee and prefer charges. Well, Mr. Thomas got a seven on the third, and he said, well, it is no wonder I'm off my game today, as I was up half the night with my teeth. Well, said Mr. Carter, if I had your money, why, on the night before a big tournament like this, I would hire somebody else to set up with my teeth. Well, I wish I could remember all that was said and done, but anyway, Mr. Thomas kept getting sore and sore, and we got to the seventh tee, and he had not made a decent tee shot all day, so Mr. Blake said to him, why don't you try the wood, as you can't do no worse? By Geo, I believe I will, said Mr. Thomas, and took his driver out of the bag, which he had not used it for three years. Well, he swung, and Zowie away went the ball, pretty near eight inches distance, with the head of the club broke off clean and sailed fifty yards down the course. Well, I have got a hold on myself, so I don't never laugh out loud, and I believe the other men was scarred to laugh, or he would have killed them, so we all stood there in silence, waiting for what would happen. Well, without saying a word, he come to where I was standing and took his other four wood clubs out of the bag and took them to a tree which stands a little ways from the tee box. And one by one, he swung them with all his strength against the trunk of the tree and smashed them to H and gone. All right, gentlemen, that is over, he said. Well, to cut it short, Mr. Thomas' score for the first nine was a even 60, and then we started out on the second nine, and you would not think it was the same man playing. On the first three holes, he made two fours into five and beat Mr. Carter even and followed up with a six and a five, and that is how he kept going up to the seventeenth hole. What has gone into you, Thomas, said Mr. Carter? Nothing, said Mr. Thomas. Only I broke my hoodoo when I broke them five wood clubs. Yes, I said to myself, and if you had broke them five wood clubs three years ago, I would not have broke my back lugging them around. Well, we come to the eighteenth tee, and Mr. Thomas had a thirty-nine, which gave him a ninety-nine for seventeen holes, well, everybody drove off, and as we was following along, why Mr. Claybur came walking down the course from the clubhouse on his way to the 17th green to join some friends, and Mr. Thomas asked him what had he made, and he said he had turned in a 93, but his handicap is only a 12, so that give him a 81. That won't get me nowheres, he said, as Charlie Crane made a 75. Well, said Mr. Thomas, I can tie Crane for low net if I get a 6 on this hole. Well, it come his turn to make a second, and Zowie, he hit the ball pretty good, and they was a hook on it, and away she went into the woods on the left. The ball laid in behind a tree, so as they was only one thing to do, and that was waste a shot getting it back on the fair. So that is what Mr. Thomas done, and it took him two more to reach the green. How many have you had, Thomas? said Mr. Carter when we was all on the green. Let me see, said Mr. Thomas, and then turned to me. How many have I had, Caddy? I don't know, I said. Well, it is either four or five, said Mr. Thomas. I think it is five, said Mr. Carter. 
I think it is four, said Mr. Thomas, and turned to me again and said, How many have I had, Caddy? So I said four. Well, said Mr. Thomas, personally, I was not sure myself, but my caddy says four, and I guess he is right. Well, the other men looked at each other, and I and Joe Bean looked at each other, but Mr. Thomas went ahead and putted and was down in two putts. Well, he said, I certainly come to life on them last nine holes. So he turned his score in as 105, and with his handicap of 30, why, that gave him a net of 75, which was the same as Mr. Crane. So, instead of Mr. Crane getting one dozen golf balls and Mr. Thomas getting half a dozen golf balls, why, they will split the first and second prize making nine golf balls apiece. Tuesday, May 2nd. This was the first ladies' day of the season, and even Joe Bean had to carry for the fair sex. We catted for a foursome, which was Miss Rennie and Mrs. Thomas against Mrs. Doan and Mrs. Carter. I guess if they had have kept their score right, the total for the four of them would have ran well over a thousand. Our course has a great many trees, and they seemed to have attraction for our four ladies today, and we was in amongst the trees more than we was on the fairway. Well, said Joe Bean, they's one thing about catting for these dames, it keeps you out of the hot sun. And another time he said he felt like a Boy Scout studying woodcraft. These dames is always up against a stump, he said. And another time he said that it was not fair to charge these dames regular ladies' dues in the club, as they hardly ever use a course. Well, it seems like they was a party in the village last night, and of course the ladies was talking about it. And Mrs. Stone said what a lovely dress Miss Rennie wore to the party, and Miss Rennie said she did not care for the dress herself. Well, said Mrs. Stone, if you want to get rid of it, just hand it over to me. I won't give it to you, said Miss Rennie, but I will sell it to you at half what it cost me, and it was a bargain that that only cost me a hundred dollars, and I will sell it to you for fifty dollars. I have not got fifty dollars just now to spend, said Mrs. Stone, and besides, I don't know would it fit me. Sure it would fit you, said Miss Rennie. You and I are exactly the same size and figure. I tell you what I will do with you, I will play you golf for it. And if you beat me, you can have the gown for nothing. And if I beat you, why, you will give me $50 for it. All right, but if I lose, you may have to wait for your money, said Mrs. Doan. So this was on the fourth hole, and they started from there to play for the dress, and they was both terrible and worse than usual on account of being nervous, as this was the biggest stakes they had either of them ever played for, though the Doans has got a barrel of money, and $50 is chicken's food. Well, we was on the 16th hole, and Mrs. Doan was one up, and Miss Rannie sliced her tee shot off in the rough, and Mrs. Doan landed in some rough over on the left, so they was clear across the course from each other. Well, I and Mrs. Doan went over to her ball, and as luck would have it, it had come to rest in a kind of groove where a good player could not hardly make a good shot of it, let alone Mrs. Doan. Well, Mrs. Thomas was out in the middle of the course for once in her life, and the other two ladies was over on the right side, and Joe being with them, so they was nobody near Mrs. Doan and I. Do I have to play it from there, she said. I guess you do, was my reply. Why, Dick, have you went back on me, she said, and give me one of her looks. Well, I looked to see if the others was looking, and then I kind of gave the ball a shove with my toe, and it come out of the groove and laid where she could get a swipe at it. This was the sixteenth hole, and Mrs. Doan win it by eleven strokes to ten, and that made her two up and two to go. Miss Rennie win the seventeenth, but they both took a ten for the eighteenth, and that gave Mrs. Doan the match. Well, I won't never have a chance to see her in Miss Rennie's dress, but if I did, I ain't sure that I would like it on her. Friday, May 5th. Well, I never thought we would have so much excitement in the club and so much to write down in my diary, but I guess I better get busy writing it down as here it is Friday and it was Wednesday a.m. when the excitement broke loose and I was getting ready to play around when Harry Lear, the caddy master, come running out with the paper in his hand and showed it to me on the first page. It told how Chase Crane, our club champion, had went south with $8,000, which he had stole out of Mr. Thomas' bank, and a swell-looking dame that was a stenographer in the bank had eloped with him, 
and they had her picture in the paper, and I will say she is a pip. But who would have thought a nice, quiet young man like Mr. Crane was going to prove himself a gay Romeo, and especially as he was engaged to Miss Rennie, though she now says she broke their engagement a month ago. But anyway, the whole affair has certainly give everybody something to talk about. And one of the caddies, Lou Crow, busted Fat Brunner in the nose because Fat claimed to have been the last one that catted for Crane. Lou was really the last one and catted for him last Sunday, which was the last time Crane was at the club. Well, everybody was thinking how sore Mr. Thomas would be, and they would better not mention the affair around him and ETC, but who would show up to play yesterday but Mr. Thomas himself, and he played with Mr. Blake and all they talked about the whole PM was Crane and what he had pulled. Well, Thomas, said Mr. Blake, I am curious to know if the thing come as a surprise to you or if you ever had a hunch that he was liable to do a thing like this. Well, Blake, said Mr. Thomas, I will admit that the whole thing come as a complete surprise to me, as Crane was almost like my son, you might say. And I was going to see that he got along all right, and that is what makes me sore, is not only that he has proved himself dishonest, but that he could be such a sucker as to give up a bright future for a sum of money like $8,000 and a doll-faced girl that can't be no good or she would not have let him do it. When you think how young he was and the career he might have had, why it certainly seems like he sold his soul pretty cheap. That is what Mr. Thomas had to say, or at least part of it, as I can't remember half of all he said. But anyway, this PM I catted for Mrs. Thomas and Mrs. Stone, and that is all they talked about, too. And Mrs. Thomas talked along the same lines like her husband and said she had always thought Crane was too smart a young man to pull a thing like that and ruin his whole future. He was getting $4,000 a year, said Mrs. Thomas, and everybody liked him and said he was bound to get ahead, so that is what makes it such a silly thing for him to have done, sell his soul for $8,000 in a pretty face. Yes, indeed, said Mrs. Doan. Well, all that time I was listening to Mr. Thomas and Mr. Blake and Mrs. Thomas and Mrs. Stone, why, I was thinking about something which I wanted to say to them, but it would have meant me losing my job, so I kept it to myself, but I sprung it on my pal Joe Bean on the way home tonight. Joe, I said, what do these people mean when they talk about Crane selling his soul? Why, you know what they mean, said Joe. They mean that a person that does something dishonest for a bunch of money or a gal or any kind of reward, why, the person that does it is selling his soul. All right, I said. And it don't make no difference, does it, if the reward is big or little? Why, no, said Joe. Only the bigger it is, the less of a sucker the person is that goes after it. Well, I said, here is Mr. Thomas, who is vice president of a big bank and worth a barrel of money, and it is just a few days ago when he lied about his golf score in order so as he would win nine golf balls instead of a half a dozen. Sure, said Joe. And how about his wife, Mrs. Thomas, I said who plays for two bits a hole and when her ball don't like it, why she picks it up and pretends to look at it to see if it is hers, and then she puts it back in a good lie where she can sock it. And how about my friend Mrs. Stone that made me move her ball out of a rut to help her beat Miss Rennie out of party dress? Well, said Joe, what of it? Well, I said, it seems to me like these people have got a lot of nerve to pan Mr. Crane and call him a sucker for doing what he done. It seems to me like $8,000 in a swell dame is a pretty fair reward compared with what some of these other people sells their soul for and I would like to tell them about it. Well, said Joe, go ahead and tell them, but maybe they will tell you something right back. What will they tell me? Well, said Joe, they might tell you this, that when Mr. Thomas asks you how many shots he has had, and you say four when you know he has had five, why, you are selling your soul for a one-dollar tip. And when you move Mrs. Stone's ball out of a rut and give it a good lie, what are you selling your soul for? Just a smile. Oh, keep your mouth shut, I said to him. I'm going to, said Joe and would advise you to do the same. End of chapter 7, A Caddy's Diary, part 2. Recording by Madison Rutherford.